Oh, come on. Okay, start recording. It's recording. Okay, let's do it. So let's get it. We're in Hebrews chapter one, verse three, and I want you guys to share your thoughts. Put your hands up if you have any thoughts, questions, insights. What's up, Angel? Good to see you, buddy. It's been months. In three verses, man. Let's just keep going. We'll end with verse three, or at least finish that that verse, and then you guys can give me your thoughts. It says, after, uh, or rather, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) the, The author's making statements about Jesus that are true of no one else but God. Who else upholds the universe by the word of his power, right? Who else is the one who's pre-existed the whole world? Um, man, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, um, which also is something that no one else can do but God, any purification made, like with the priesthood for Israel, for Israel as a nation, you know, on the Day of Atonement, that was a temporary kind of thing, and that was for unintentional sins. This purification Jesus provides, it's a once for all, completely, eternally, forever, all sins covered. He made purification for sins, and after that, he sat down. Um, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And if you didn't know, the majesty is a is a name attributed or given to God. That's how the Old Testament will often refer to God is as the majesty or the most high. Um, and Jesus, after his atonement, he just ascends right to the level of the Father where he's always been, but he temporarily descended from. Um, man. So I want you guys to think about all the ideas set forth in just three verses. Sheesh. You can't pack any more like profound theology uh, in three verses than the way Hebrews does here. It's unbelievable. Crazy. Ken, go ahead. You can literally throw the whole Bible at that right there, right? Because that's the beginning, middle, and the end. I mean, you're just summing up everything. But what really stood out to me is the purification for sin. And the first thing that comes to my head and what has been lately is Romans seven eighteen through 20. For I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my flesh. Oops. Just lost it. Some jumped on me. Sorry. For I know that nothing good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but is the sin living in me that does it. There's such a separation between flesh and the heart of flesh that Christ has created. The purification is the whole time we are living in this new created form. And so 
for the rest of our lives. There is that separation. He is purifying us inwardly, and the rest he takes care of. This is why it's so important that we focus only on what is inside the heart, inside the ark of our salvation. As Christ is in the boat with the disciples, they're trying to understand, why is everything going crazy and how come you're not doing anything? He's like, you don't understand. Peace is here with you. Rest. And so this is what we should be doing with the storm outside of us, this flesh that wants to react to the world. And again, just like Lot wanting to open up that door and offer things of himself and his family that he shouldn't be doing to the world. Instead, taking pause and letting God take care of it. So the angels go out. And then now we see God fighting for us. Keep the door shut as the world tries to knock on that door and trying to get us to try to open it. But the thing is, there's still that separation. Nothing can change that because nothing opens that door but God. We see this in Revelations whenever he's speaking to the church of Philadelphia. We are too weak. Nothing opens that door but God. Nothing shuts that door but God. So we no longer worry about the things that are outside of us. We only worry about what's inside. And he gives us these precious jewels. And these jewels are going to be on a crown that will be given to us, the reward, wisdom, truth, knowledge, insight, and so forth. This is what we learn to align our will to his, not asking him to align his will to ours. Don't rebuke God, at least he rebuke you back. And that's what the disciples did because they didn't know. Shall we perish is what they said. And Christ is like, do you not have faith? And that's to us. Do we not have faith? Because the only thing we need to worry about is what's inside this heart. And everything else is left to God. And when we actually truly put that true faith into him, how much more we start seeing the truth of him working in our lives. We actually are able to see his voice going to work. It's a beautiful thing. Have faith. Your first statement, which is that this kind of summarizes the entire biblical narrative in three verses. Like in the beginning, he's there. What's he doing? Well, God is working through the prophets. The right time comes. Jesus ends up being the radiance of the Father to humanity, makes purifications for sins, sits down at the right hand of the Father now on high. Um, and then, you know, the rest of chapter one will go on to say, and he's waiting until, uh, his enemies are made his footstool. And so verse four, it says, having become, uh, as much superior to angels. Interesting. This is something worth pondering. What does it mean that Jesus became superior to angels? Just a thought. Go and think about that. What's what's being put forth here? That Jesus becomes superior to angels, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Huh. Now think about what this verse comes right after. Right after the atonement. Right after him ascending to the Father. 
And then verse 4 seems to explain what that was. Um, and then he inherits a name more excellent than theirs. So we already saw Jesus as the heir in verse 2, H-E-I-R, not like Air Jordan. Um, we already saw, um, what is it, the almost like same idea, becoming superior, but the word appointed used in verse 2, um, that seems to relate. So Christian, I see your beautiful hand up. Go ahead. Christian, are you there? He's not. Oh, he said, I think Viggo Trip goes first. Um, I don't see a hand from... Oh, it says in italics, raise hand. That's why. Viggo Trip, go ahead. I want to hear your thoughts. If you're still here. Yeah, I'm here. There um, he is. Sorry, I was just trying to figure out how to use Discord on the phone. But um, I'd like to speak to the last half of verse 3 and then 4. Um, it just kind of, it just reminds me of the nature of the crucifixion and another part of the Bible where it says he could have called legions of angels to come and save him from this crucifixion, or he could have refused to do the, to go to the crucifixion. He could have decided not to, but because he made that choice, um, that's a reason why he has a name superior to angels because he was the willing, he was willing to do so to willing to sacrifice for us. So that's kind of what I kind of think about that. So thank you. Yeah, so so you're framing up the crucifixion and the atonement as Jesus refusing evil and obeying the Father instead. The whole Garden of Gethsemane scene, you know, your will not mine, Father. As much as I want to avoid this, if there's any way, make it happen. But you know, your will be done. That's 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 the image. And actually, you're going to see that that idea of Jesus. The actual language that's going to be used in Hebrews is that he, as a son, he learned obedience. And so you have all this, th these weird statements where it's like, he became superior. He learned obedience. It's talking about the incarnation. It's talking about obedience to the cross and refusing evil, uh, which is a reversal of Adam and Eve in the garden. Um, instead of refusing evil, they refused the will of God and did what they wanted and embraced evil. And so Jesus, you know, comes and uh, fixes everything, <laughs> you know, by reversing that image. Um and this is the what you're touching on, how he becomes superior to angels. Part of that becoming superior involves the name he inherits. And so it, I guess in the clearest way I can say it, Jesus becoming superior to angels refers to him inheriting a name that is more excellent than theirs, which comes through the atonement, the resurrection, and the ascension. All those events are a sort of uh, ascension, a coronation, you know, Jesus as the first resurrected human, um, I guess, rising to a position on our behalf um, that we lacked, not that he did. And so in his humanity, he does that. 
the name though is going to be unpacked quite a bit in Hebrew. So like I said, like in the first four verses, you have all the main ideas that will be unpacked later, but they're in seed form right here. Jesus as the heir, Jesus appointed, Jesus, you know, making purification, sitting down as the as the finished high priest, his name being superior to angels, him being above spiritual beings. Um, all these different ideas are going to be fully unpacked later. But he's he's given you almost the table of contents here in the first four verses. Um, outlining the rest of this letter. And it's really cool. Um, once you recognize that, you can really start to trace these themes and ideas all the way to the end. Verse 5. Now, Christian, Christian, you need to go, buddy. And then we're just going to make Mr. Mark talk. Go ahead, Christian. Let's get it. Let's go. Hey, what's up, people? I just actually want to tackle the fact about when I think Ken was talking about uh, faith and just tying it into like the in the beginning and uh, where it says uh, rats where was it uh, hmm, let me read it real quick so let's see to find my place here I'm actually reading for the Barrett study Bible so let me find where um, that place was one they want on many past locations and in Mary, Mary, I can't even tell, many different ways God spoke to our fathers through the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed their uh, hearer of all saints, through whom he made the universe. So the sun in the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his nature upholding all saints by his powerful word and after he provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of uh, the majesty on high. And so he, bec he became us at for far superior to angels as saints uh, let's see, at the name, and he has inherited its excellence and beyond um, there. Um, I actually want to, like, tackle how, like, with God's word, it's so, oh, my goodness. Uh, sorry, my brain is, like, kind of scrambled at the moment. Um, that, like, in the beginning, when everything came to about through the mouth of God and through the word of God. And it, to me, I want to tie this into like what Ken was saying about faith and how sh we should trust and like more trust in God with our everyday circumstance, regardless of what our season that we are in and the struggles that we go to, he is far more powerful and greater and stronger than the struggles that we go through. Like, I, it almost seems that in my mind, I really want to pair this up to how we can trust in the Lord's work and power, like knowing that how he 
brought the world about and also brought uh brought about his ultimate plan for saving humanity through saving humanity through his son in a way that like God's plans are bigger than our plans and it's best for us to fix our minds on what he wants to do in our lives rather than rather than making him submit to our plan our own plans in our lives. So I don't know if like if I make it sense in terms of like actually believe in the power of God to bring about what he may have promised you, promised you, and relying on the promises that he's already made and declared uh, from long ago and implementing that in our individual lives, like trusting in the power of God and his handy work, knowing that knowing that he will bring about completion um, and also perfect our faith as we continue to mature and grow in him. Um, through, as we continue to uh, trust in the power and knowing the way he has done through his son as well as the, the uh, creation account um, also. Sorry if I thought it was just a bunch of uh, weeds um, curled up on each other. My bad, Jason. No, I hear you. I hear your brain firing off all these different ideas and connecting them. And I get that sometimes it makes more sense in our head than it than it can come out of our mouths. But I, I see your train of, your train of thought from the beginning. There's been this plan from the beginning. The plan has been. Um, so much better than what humanity purposed and what humanity could ever do. And when it comes to our own lives, you know, do we have the faith to believe that God's plan to work out ultimate good in our lives is better than what we could fathom or come up with ourselves, even when it doesn't match up with what we prefer? Do do we have that kind of faith to not just believe for the impossible, uh, but to accept what God says is actually going to happen? Um, and to let go of our plans. Sometimes faith is not just being able to believe for insanely big miracles, but being willing to um, lay down your preference and your vision uh, to actually receive what God has for you. In other words, sometimes the biggest moves of faith is to actually accept what God intends to do instead of what you prefer Him to do, right? So, you know, from the very beginning, there's been this plan. I'm going to send my son. He'll make purification. He'll be the he'll be the complete, um, you know, expression of my glory. Uh, he'll have my very nature. You know, he's going to sit down at my right hand and to you know to be the high priest. There are all these ideas again in seed form: the priesthood of Jesus, the atonement, the purification, the the purification rituals of Israel and how they point to Jesus as the ultimate purification. Um, all these things, Israel, you know, bearing the name of, of the Lord, but failing to do so. And whereas Jesus completely, uh, and perfectly, you know, bears the name of the father in almost like this replacement of humanity, humanity couldn't do it. So he steps in, um, so we can have his name, you know, 
And so verse five, I see where you're going, Christian. Verse five, it says, um, right after those first four verses where it's all these different ideas, we're going to get into some quotations from the Psalms now. And so think about the last thing he said in verse four. He has the name that's superior to angels, right? He's superior to angels. Now, verse five, for, depending on your translation, or because, to which of the angels did God ever say? So he, he says, uh, you are my son today. I have begotten you. Let me pull up my handy dandy quoth wefwinth. Uh, Hebrews, I believe he's uh, quoting what is it? Psalm chapter two. Yeah, that's a good chapter. So the author is quoting from Psalm chapter two to make a statement about the son that God does not make about angels. Why does he do that? Because what he's doing here is he's contrasting Jesus with the angels by letting everyone know he's way better. We'll prove it. Okay. When did God ever say this to angels? Never. Okay. Well, he said this to the son and she's going to use that same argument over and over in the next nine verses. It's just going to be quotation after quotation. Boom, boom, boom. Making one main point. Jesus is better than angels. That's going to be the first building block of this whole Jesus is better, um, is that he's better than angels. It's technically he's better than all the prophets, like we saw in verse one, um, where he's better than creation in verse two, because he's uncreated. So, you know, this is the third category. He's better than angels. Um, and he says, the father says to the son, you're my son today. I have begotten you. Or, you know, when did God ever say to the angels, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When did God ever say that? The answer is the same. Um, he's never said that to any other being except his only son. So we're off to a great start. Off to a great start. Thoughts? Questions? Uh, things you notice? Some things you want to make sense of? Or, you know, what scriptures come to mind when you hear these things? Come on, this is a community effort. I am not here to preach. Let me tell you, I do that Mondays. This is our time to gather around the, the scriptures together. So this will only be as good as you guys make it better put some effort into it so we can all hear your thoughts and grow together come on something we were talking about earlier today in the verse talking about how uh, Christ having stepped down from his throne his authority so prior to that, God is God. The Son and the Father were one. Stepping down into humanity, taking on flesh incarnate. Uh, there's a sense that it's easy for God in our minds to think that, oh, well, yeah, it, it would be easy for God to come here and live a perfect life in his full authority, knowing everything, doing everything, but that's not what really is it's happening. He came down to take on our nature, becoming less than the angels. And so in doing so, it was but his will in 
the flesh itself that allowed him to do the things. It's like he still had a choice, but in the whole time, Father, I will still do your will. If there's any other way, he pleads. So you, you see that sense of humanity. You know, he struggled. He had emotion. He cried. It wasn't for show. And so it was, it's easy to also say that, yes, he had no idea the, the hour or the time because he, he wasn't connected to the throne, his divinity, like he was prior. And so the whole time, he had to go through everything as we went through in order to be that perfect sacrifice. Because how, how would Christ be a perfect sacrifice as he come in his full nature? And the Father's like, oh, yeah, you just go there and do a thing and you'll come right back. That, that, that would be something simple for God to do. But to take on all sin, the, the punishment for such horrendous things that the Father scorns this. He, he hates sin. And so Christ would have to have done it in the same measure that we would have done it to be less than the angels. And he prevailed. That's why it's so important for us to understand how much and how beautiful salvation truly is. How much he gave of himself to do this. And then to be restored. Why God is a jealous God. This is mine because I endured just like you're supposed to be enduring. That's why he's my God. You bring up one of the most important points here is, you know, there is no ascension without first condescending. You know, there is no resurrection without first dying. There's no coming up from the grave to go straight to the Father and be our mediator without the incarnation. And becoming, you know, going into, choosing to enter into the womb of a woman that you created. You know, um, it's like laying aside your, for lack of better terms, it's like he laid aside his superpower, his cheat code to do it the way a, a normal human would. But, you know, that, that power that was laid aside, he becomes dependent on the father for it. It's just a, a very different situation than we often imagine Jesus. Like, oh, I was a cakewalk. Well, yeah, I think being the eternal word emanating from the Father is somewhat of a help. But he did lay aside um, his glory and the divine entitlements that he had as God um, in terms of you know perfect knowledge, perfect power, all this stuff. He leaned on the Father for that. It's what a normal human would do, but he remained God. Um, and so you're going to see throughout the rest of these quotations from, from Psalms um, that not only is it that Jesus is better than angels, that, that is the main point for sure, but it's specifically that he's the son and they're not. So it's not just like, ah, he's better than angels. Look at all the stuff he did. He's going to use language that makes Jesus the only divine son and so sonship is in mind versus the created angels um, no one else is the exclusive uh, son of the father except jesus right that's what makes it exclusive so um 
part of what it means for Jesus to be better is that he has a status with the Father as the uncreated, timeless, eternal, you know, divine son. He has a unique status that nothing in existence has, um, which is why later in Hebrews, he'll be able to um, bring that same uh, sonship and adoption to anyone who would trust in him. So, you know, verse five, it says, I'll be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When did God ever say that to angels or any other created beings? Um, if you want to make Adam out to be, you know, a son of God, sure, but nowhere near the way that Jesus is the son of God. Um, so let's just end on verse six. Um, it says, and again, when he brings the firstborn into the world. So there's that, there's that language of like sonship firstborn has nothing to do with being created has everything to do with status in a family. When he brings the firstborn into the world, which means he already preexisted his human form. The father says, Hey, let all God's angels worship him. So if you go back to verse four, that's exactly what it means that Jesus has a superior name is that the angels are going to worship him. It's not just like God is saying, Hey, everyone worship my son. And the angels are like, nah, no, God actually demands the worship, angelic worship of his son. Um, every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, under the earth, whether you, you know, bow in uh, reverence and love or, you know, terror because you're his enemies. Um, every knee will bow, including spiritual beings. So I think we can all agree that there's no other being in existence uh, that is entitled to and worthy of the worship of angels except God. Um, and so already, you know, cause remember the whole point of Hebrews is written to, um, really the Jewish people. Some have accepted the Messiah. Some are thinking about it. Some are, you know, they've just heard about Jesus as being the Messiah and they're really starting to figure things out. But the whole point is, Hey, I know things are hard, um, in this world that hates the Messiah and those who follow him, don't go back to what you were pulled out from. Um, same thing Israel was told in the Old Testament. Don't go back to Egypt. Trust me. There's nothing there for you. Same thing in Hebrews, except now it's new covenant. And he's saying, don't go back to the old covenant system without Jesus as Messiah. There's nothing there for you. Um, so you have to kind of get into the, the mind of those who would be reading this, uh, the incredible difficulty and hardship and extra layer of uh, persecution that would come upon uh, a Jew in Israel claiming Jesus as Messiah. You're signing up for a very hard life by saying that. And the author of Hebrews is saying, he's worth it. Let me tell you why. He's better than angels. Boom, 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 going down the list. Um, so... Yeah, there's a lot there, a lot worth considering. Um, so, any other thoughts?
Advent Testament says if we're really looking at worship, what worship means, it would imply more than simply bowing the knee. Absolutely. Yeah, that's just uh, a component of it. That's not the full scope of it. Scripture describes spiritual worship as more than bowing the knee. Absolutely. Um, you're talking about, yeah, allegiance and, and loyalty and um, worship as to dedicate oneself to treasure and value most, love most, um, worship as the only true and living God, all that. But bowing the knee is part of that. Any other thoughts before we close? Look at Fritz jumping to Hebrews 13 all the way from chapter 1. It's the biggest leap I've ever seen. If you're playing Candyland, you're starting, you know, square one, got another foot on the finish line. <laughs> That's funny. He says, uh, through Jesus, Hebrews 13, 4 to 15, therefore let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. Yeah, you're going to see he's calling you as the reader, the listener, to praise the Son. It's reasonable. Look, if angels are worshiping him, crying out, holy, 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 uh, doing his will, dedicating themselves to him as ultimate king, as the only true and living God, it would make sense that you and I would should do the same. You know, that seems pretty reasonable. No argument there. I can't just A, B, A, B, select, start. That's right. Don't forget our trigger. R1, L2, and then select. That's how you get the cheat code. Up, up, down, left, right, right. Yeah, you forgot the directional pad, man. Dang it. It's up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, A, B, start. I'm sure that's a cheat code for some Nintendo 64 game. Go try it on Harvest Moon or Pokemon Stadium. But I think that's it. I don't see any more hands today, tonight. The uh, Contra. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Scarface asks this. Um, how does one change on the inside? Do we let Jesus change us? Or is that something we must do? I think scripture makes it abundantly clear uh, that I'm not capable of changing my own nature. Uh, what God demands, actually, of humanity is to be perfect. Uh, imperfection cannot breed perfection. It's logically impossible. So if I want to change on the inside and have a new nature and be perfect inwardly, I need God to do that for me. But I do have a role to play, which is to look to him and trust in him only to do that. That's what faith is. It's leaning on trusting in, uh, looking to God as the only, as the only one who can make us righteous and save us from sin. Um, and then, you know, God gives you a new nature. So if you want to change, first God has to change you, which requires you to admit that you need saving and to lean on him to save you. That's what faith is. From that place, he transforms you inwardly, and then your life will follow. Mr. Mark, with the comment, shouldn't you be at your favorite Bible study? My guy. LOL. Mr. Mark with the left jab. He is at his favorite Bible study. That's right, Angel. Someone want to pray us out? And then next week we'll continue in verse 7. Uh, continuing to talk about how Jesus is superior. Superior, superior. Look, the point is when you see Jesus clearly, um, 
your life will change naturally. I promise your life is the product of how you see Jesus. So if you can see him clear, your life will just um, improve dramatically in terms of walking the way God calls you to. Mr. Mark wants to pray. Let's go. Mr. Mark wants to sing a prayer. Go, Mr. Mark. Mr. Mark, if you don't sing a, a beautiful prayer, you have so many people who will be disappointed. I don't sing. I retired. <laughs> just kidding. Okay. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, we just come before you, Lord God, and we thank you for this time, Lord. We just thank you for a time that we could come together as a community of believers, Father God, to just hear your word, read your word, speak about your word, Father God. We thank you, Lord God, that you're drawing people by your spirit, Lord, some whom we haven't seen for a long long time, including Jason, God. And we just thank you, Lord, for this time with you. We thank you for the encouraging word, Lord. And we just give you glory and honor, Lord God, for what you're doing in our lives, Lord. We thank you for the resurrection power, Lord God. We thank you that this book, Father God, is just faith-based, Lord God. And we thank you, Father God, for faith, Father God. And so we give you glory and we give you honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. When does your album drop? <laughs> Jason, please. Hey, what? you roasted me at least three times in that prayer. I could jab you back. <laughs> I know. Did you notice? <laughs> no one else did, but I did. Uh, I the only reason I showed up was to be roasted by you because I missed it so much. <laughs> oh, man. Well, we love, love you, and we appreciate when you have the time to show up. So, um, you know, we're just yeah, I appreciate you. Hey, I appreciate out at the gym twenty four seven on the treadmill. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> have a good night. All right, bye, guys. That was hilarious. <laughs> hilarious. Hilarious. Notice that, that was a knee slapper. Like, that was what? That was a knee slapper. <laughs> Angel's always trying to tell me to behave. He's like my dad. He's like, behave. Stop doing that. Stop saying that. Going there. So hilarious. Let me tell you guys what happened to me today. So I was hiking, right? And I see this man and he's walking like he's shuffling. He has like a cane and he's kind of like my age or maybe even younger and he's shuffling and he is um like you know he's like barely making it down this huge hiking trail down this mountain and so my friend and I were walking and and he had earphones on so I like motioned at him and he took the earphones off and I said hey I just tell you that you really encouraged me I said there's so many people that I know who refuse to get exercise there's older people overweight people underweight people like people who just refuse to get any kind of exercise and I could see that this is a challenge for you and I just want to encourage you and he said oh thank you I'm learning how to rewalk and so my friend said did you get in an accident and he said no I was out of the country at a different um I was out of the country on vacation 11 months ago and I ate some some oysters and the oysters had a negative effect on my neurological system so it paralyzed him and made him like deathly ill so he so I said okay well we're
we're gonna what do you need prayer for because we're gonna pray for you and he goes oh like he looked all flabbergasted so i just laid my hands on him and i began to pray healing over his body and healing over his life and so i i want to encourage you because like you guys are talking about hebrews and it's the whole book of faith and it's about walking in faith and so you know it's impossible to please God without faith. And we're all called to the healing ministry. We're all called to healing. We're all called to deliverance. We're all called to those areas. And so um, I decided to pray for him and he was just super, super uh, like grateful, super grateful. So I went to go have breakfast or brunch actually with my friend after this little restaurant that we always go to. And sure enough, he walks in with his wife, the same man. And he walks in and he starts telling his wife, oh, those are the people that were praying for me that I was telling about so i just want to encourage you guys because you know even when we think we're like we're not making an impact or nobody's noticing or nobody's looking or nobody cares or we're too sinful to do ministry or we don't represent jesus right it's very simple to represent jesus all you have to do is love people like jesus did and so i i just you know i was excited about that today it was a little tiny testimony it was a little tiny event but for that man it meant something so I, you know, I love that you guys come on here, and it's great that we come together. We joke, we laugh, we learn. But get out there into the highways, into the byways, into the streets. Get out there and love on people, because the the reason Jesus had ministry was because it was it came from a place of love and compassion. He wanted his people to be set free. So let's help. Like let's, let's do things because we're empowered by the Holy Spirit to do those things. So I just wanted to share that with you. I love you guys, and um, I'll stop talking now. Thank you very much. Bye. Thank you. Come again.